I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to another episode of Mama Bear Apologetics. I'm Hillary. I'm Rebecca. So today we're going to be actually be talking about something that has divided the nation. <laughs> so, well, maybe not the nation, but it's at least divided the Christian community, yeah. I would say. And that is we're going to be talking about the shack. Mm. So, <laughs> so a little background on that. I read this a while back and I... Golly, it was many years ago, and um, I decided to go and see the movie. And Rebecca was going to see the movie, but her movie partner dropped out, so instead she read the book today. Mm-hmm. And so she's going to be able to speak a little bit more from the perspective of the book, and I'll be able to speak a little bit more from the perspective of the movie. And we're just going to try to try to figure out how what, what's a good Christian response to this in a way that doesn't over. I don't know how would you describe it. Like you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't. Um... Yeah, you, you're not um, you're not extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna try to avoid extremes. So there's some people that are you know all ready to go with pitchforks and you know have a like a shack book burning party. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when it first came out, and when I or not when it first came out. I remember when I read it and I saw people having this reaction to it. We've also seen people. There's people that we theologically respect that have really enjoyed this book. So tell, tell us a little bit, Rebecca, about kind of the, the differences that you've seen in people that... Yes. Oh, my goodness. With people I respect a lot, Orthodox believers, I have seen people that have been extremely moved by it. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen other people that cannot stand it. And mm-hmm. people that I respect that I wouldn't think are people that really typically have knee-jerk reactions to things. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's it's seems to more than anything it evokes an emotional response whether it's for or against <laughs> now you've read it before yeah i did read it it was kind of under special circumstances so um some of the people here know and i know you know rebecca that i had a, a period of about seven months that i went through chemo and during that time uh they call it chemo brain and i've heard that it's very similar to pregnancy brain <laughs> mom brain um, yeah where um i just i couldn't understand any of the things that I would normally mm-hmm. read. So any any of the scientific literature, any of the theological literature, any of the nonfiction stuff, I just couldn't understand it. It was literally like I, I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is how other people feel when they <laughs> read it and don't understand it. I felt really, yeah. I, fe- I, I felt pretty dumb. But at the same time, I used to really love reading fiction and I had stopped reading fiction for many, many years. And so I thought, you know what? I can't understand anything else. So let's let's read some fiction. And mm-hmm. I think at that point that I, I don't even know where we got the shack from. I think maybe someone that I knew had recommended it and lent it to me because mm-hmm. they knew that I had a lot of time on my hands of of uh, just laying around and doing nothing. But at the same time, so I wasn't at my sharpest. I was not the sharpest knife in the drawer when I mm-hmm. read it. And I honestly have so few memories. Like it, the chemo wiped a lot of my memories away. So mm-hmm. I can't yeah. totally remember it. So speaking, but I, okay, so I remember 
when people started criticizing it though, most of the criticisms that I heard, I was like, that's just dumb. You just are completely missing the point. Like mm. the, the main criticism that I heard was, oh, they're saying God's a black woman. And I'm like, oh, you totally missed the point on that. I really don't think this was trying to teach that God is literally an African-American woman. No, I you think know, she it, says it at a point. She can appear, you know, he asks her, I thought you were, were going to, he thought she was going to look like Gandalf. And he said, you know, she said, well, if I had come to you in that manner, that in a way like his abusive father, there, mm-hmm. that might remind him of his abusive father, what, what yeah. would you have done? So it kind of tells you why the author did that in a way. Yeah. And so that is an artistic expression of the fact that, so like we do know, like if we're going to say literally God is unchanging, God does not change. So God doesn't turn into different people. But this is, this is an artistic representation of the fact that God does approach us in different ways at different times. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all that to say, a lot of the criticisms I heard, I'm like, these people don't understand the purpose. Mm -hmm. Like why, you know, someone could just as equally go after C.S. Lewis for presenting you know, the Christ figure, not only as an animal, but there's not even a remote mention of the Trinity. You have this and, picture of the the emperor beyond the sea that yeah. is his father, but then, yeah. So it's like, I was like, oh, people are being just so hyper-skeptical. So it wasn't until maybe, I don't know, I saw an article on Facebook the other day by Albert Muller, and I really, I really respect mm-hmm. Albert Muller. Mm-hmm, and so I decided to read it, and that was the first time I'd heard a really legitimate critique Mm-hmm. of the book and I was like, "Ooh, we, I, I was I was honestly I was shocked that I had missed so much of the of the things that he had listed in his book. I'm like, "How did I miss that?" Because I knew at the time that people were having a problem with it, but actually it wasn't until after I read it. Yeah. that I heard people. So it's like I wasn't reading it looking for things. Yeah. And um but when I saw Albert Muller's and we'll include a link to his uh to his article on the website cuz I think he does a really good job picking through it. There's one thing I do disagree with that, um, with his article, and that's his definition of discernment. (laughs) Um, It it, it kind of bothers me. And I think I addressed this on the Darwinism and discernment uh, video Mm -hmm. program that I did with Ratio Christi TV, where I see a lot of Christians kind of treat discernment like we're, we're pointing out every single possible thing that's wrong instead of saying, no, let's look to see what's good and let's look to see what's bad. You have to include both of them. Discernment, I think, includes both of them. And so yeah. I really want to go through some of the things that we have both seen in the shack that we're going to say, yeah, I think we can we can appreciate this and we can give credit where it's due and we can say good job on, you know, A, B, C, and D points. Now mm-hmm. let's talk about some of the things that we see as being a little dangerous or not theologically sound. Excuse me. So like, uh, so his definition of discernment followed along with, you know, the pointing out everything that's wrong with stuff. So that was the only thing I didn't really... Sort of a deconstructionism, you know, or heresy hunting. Yeah. 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 And you yeah, can do like, that with so many things, you know, really. You, like you said, with C.S. Lewis, you can do that. And it, it takes away from the enjoyment. And mm-hmm. in, in the end, you're, into, you're, you're reducing... <clears throat> Everything to, you know, does is the correct is the theology completely one hundred percent correct? Because there there's certain aspects of theology that you will never ever be able to artistically represent, and probably one of the biggest ones is the Trinity. In fact, yeah. we had this big long discussion on my the Biola's version of basically systematic theology, and so a couple of weeks ago we went through the trinity section and so there was this, all these big debates on whether or not analogies we can use analogies for the trinity mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, they do kind of all break down into heresy. Have you seen the the Donald and Connell video that's talking about the Trinity? No, but I've seen some of those. Those are the two Irish guys. <laughs> yeah, those are yeah cute. so for, for a good day or two, I was going to bed, and I kept hearing this indignant Irish voice going, that's modalism, Patrick. That's modalism. <laughs> that's yeah. modalism. So, yeah, modalism. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do a post. Um, we'll, we'll do a, a link to that video. It's kind of a fun video. Well, the thing, the thing that um, I can see for this book in particular as compared to other books in the past, why it might cause even more of a reaction is that, first of all, God in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, are characters in the book. Uh And third of all, he spends a good, I mean, second of all, he spends a good half of the book, and it's it's pretty didactic. It's teaching theology Mm -hmm. from the lips of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's treading into some pretty deep waters that I think, think he should have by putting first of all by putting them in God's mouth is is very presumptuous and second of all I don't I I don't know I'm not going to impugn his motives but it is presumptuous because some of these are interpretive these are pretty big theological issues yeah like he talks about the incarnation and he talks about adam being created first and then eve these are rich theological things that are fun to imagine about and um and such but to and 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 fun to study but then to put a certain view in jesus's mouth Mm -hmm. is that's where you're being presumptuous well it's more like you just better be a hundred percent sure (laughs) Yes, and a hundred percent ready that there are going to be some people who are going to cry foul on you and not agree with it and challenge you on it, especially putting that into God's mouth. And I just, as an artist, as a writer, I don't think I could have ever do. I would ever do that. Chesterton refrained from doing that. He mm-hmm. talks about the the Trinity being a profound mystery <laughs> that you know we can't put into words, even though we can still find comfort from it and um lewis has a great quote here where he's talking about um jesus's cry of forsakenness from the cross when he cried out my -hmm. god my god why have you forsaken me he says here this is from his um, essay from um on prayer he said when god becomes man that man of all others is least comforted by god at his greatest need There is a mystery here, which even if I had the power, I might not have the courage to explore. (laughs) Well, actually, they do. uh, uh, Young does explore the the dereliction, and he Mm -hmm. has Papa, who is God, saying to um, Mac, the, the 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 man that's suffering in this book. I was there with Jesus. Well, that's a big theological concept. And he just yeah. inserts it in there. And, and he inserts that in the God's mouth. Yeah. And um, we, we, I just actually just got done taking my sort of system, systematic theology class at HBU. And we studied this theologian, um, Thomas E. Oden. And he wrote about the incarnation. He said, mm-hmm. reverence forbids the pretense that human knowledge is competent to make a minute or exhaustive scrutiny of the physical or empirical dimensions of this mystery. Yeah. Yet I feel like Young has crossed that line in many places. And and it wouldn't have been so bad 
if it wasn't in the mouth, if he his, it wasn't he didn't write that into the dialogue of God, the mouth of God. Yeah, because I I think again I, I bring it back to Lewis. If you think back to Lewis, there's um, Aslan doesn't say a whole lot, mm-hmm. and so it's not really putting a lot into his mouth or, or you know trying to teach theology necessarily. Mm-hmm. And again, like at the time when I read this, it was kind of funny because I love the book. I don't think I would have. At least I, 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 I remember having really good feelings towards it. And a lot of this stuff kind of went over my head. But there's a couple different possible reasons. Number one was the one that we just mentioned that I just was not at my smartest, shall we say, when I was reading it. But also, I think someone who has a really, really strong grasp of theology mm-hmm. can actually do a good... And, and I think I just naturally do the chew and spit method. Yeah. Where as I'm, as I'm reading stuff, it's like I kind of know this, this fits with scripture and this doesn't. Yeah. And so... And there's a lot of good nuggets in here of yeah. good. There's you have to sift through the good and the bad. Yeah. And yeah, I actually when I I was at this afternoon or yesterday when I texted you, I I had gotten to a certain point where he first meets where Mac first meets Papa and mm-hmm. I was in bawling. I was in tears. <laughs> and I was thinking this is a wonderful book. But um as I got further on, I started, you know, I, I just was trying to read as someone who, trying to understand why people would react so negatively to it. And and I can yeah. see why. I can absolutely see why. It has some misleading things. It has some universalism in it. He tries mm-hmm. to say that, he says some kind of things that sound very odd, like this, he, he does away with this idea of this hierarchy in the Godhead and even in our world. It seems like he's interpreting the Trinity and our relationship with God with a very modern view of equality. We kind of obsessed mm. with equality in the modern yeah. world, and he's sort okay. of. Re- but you know, we all bring baggage in to our interpretation. Yeah. So I want to yeah. be fair to him. The only thing is that he's pretty didactic. You know, he's pretty like this is how it is, and I don't. If if he had had a little bit more humility, you know, in in some of these areas that I think are more mysterious and are harder, it, mm-hmm. it might have been I, a little bit better for him. But I, yeah. I think the aspect of making God very concrete and very real, mm-hmm. um, especially for someone that's suffering, like like I said, that moment that he walks into this the cabin and, and Papa just takes him up in his arms and mm-hmm. loves him. I just, as someone who has struggled to feel God's presence... Yeah. Um, many times in my life, even since I was a young girl, and then going through a time of doubt, and then just at, entering into the story with this man who had lost his daughter in such a horrific way. Yeah, that's basically the worst case scenario. It's the like. worst case scenario. I just, and as a mom, you know, I was just feeling for him. I thought this was beautiful. And then, and, and then knowing a little bit about the author and his background, that he had some pretty heinous abuse sexual abuse yeah he did and i think it was while he was like a missionary kid yeah so not only are you a missionary kid so you're supposedly your parents are serving the lord and i i don't know if it was his father or if it was one of the no i read about it i think it was in the tribe that they were serving in and then he was sent to boarding school and it was at the boarding school yeah that's i was gonna say i I was thinking it was at the boarding school but his father i think um, was he had a very dysfunctional relationship with his father. And yeah. I take it 
he might have come from a pretty legalistic background. And that's actually one of the things you and I were talking earlier, um, not on the podcast, but about, you know, what kind of person would this book really speak to? Because we both know that there's people that have spoken, or not spoken, um, had this book really speak to them in a positive way. Yes. And one of the things that I think is, and after I kind of made this assertion, you started going through in your head and cataloging all the people that you'd heard that love this book, and they kind of all fell in this category, is people who have grown up with more of a legalistic background who really haven't understood the heart of God and haven't understood the love or they've had some of the abuse, father. abuse mm-hmm. from their own fathers yeah yeah or neglect. And, yeah and I think I again I can't remember I can't remember the book but um I think they stripped out a lot of the so when Rebecca says didactic she means that it's a story that's intended to teach mm-hmm. and so it's teaching in a story manner so um they took out a lot of the didactic stuff for the movie because this time I was really, really, really listening for it. And there was just a couple of things that I'm like, eh, that's not really, that's really not there. But the way they were able to just portray the love of God, mm-hmm. they were able to portray the love of God. I love the way that they were able to uh, portray relationship within the Godhead. Yeah. And so, because that's one of the things that I think we we miss out on sometimes is understanding that this Godhead I mean, they they perfectly love one another. The Spirit and the Son love the Father. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. And and that there's a relationship going on there. Because, you know, if we look at creation, one of the things that we talked about in um, in our Biola discussion and uh, in the this, this book by W.G. Shedd, that's our, basically our textbook, is it's talking about God can't create something that he hasn't, that he, he doesn't know. He creates from himself. And so relationship is one of those things that if we had a God that was just unipersonal instead of tripersonal yeah it that god would not be able to really create relationship because there is no relationship going on there but there is relationship within the godhead and so i think the movie did a really good job portraying a relationship within the godhead and i like when he i think mac was asking okay so which of you is god and all three of them answer at the same time i am the great i am (laughs) the great i am so it, it was clear that all three of them are god but they had this relationship and these personalities and so when i think papa said why don't uh, you go out with my son and he can show you his handiwork and ever and i was expecting yeah. to see some of his woodworking stuff because it had shown him out there woodworking, uh, you know, as the carpenter. But when they went out to show his handiwork, it shows them looking at the stars. Yes, yeah. And so yeah. it's this idea of in him and through him, all things were created. Nothing has been created except for through Christ. And so is expressing that was part of, you know, God the Son's role in creation. And then the role of the Spirit as comforter. She was the one that, um, you know, uh, wiped the tear from his cheek, that comforter Yeah, I like that. I like that she collected his tear. Yeah. 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 I, I, there was a, there are a few very touching moments in here that, that are very moving, definitely, mm-hmm. in that showing. I think where he errs is he goes too far yeah. in trying to be too, too explicit in some things. And yeah. even in the conversation, it's like he's using these. This dialogue is too much, mm-hmm. and and this is maybe this is just an artistic, you know, looking at it as an artist. But the dialogue ends up becoming cheesy in a sense in the book because mm-hmm. it's too much, and it's like it would have been, been better just to have less. And like mm-hmm. you said, that moment he goes and he looks at the stars, that would have been enough. But there's a there's a 
whole dialogue on that and it gets a little cheesy and it's like oh you know you didn't have to go there and that's just maybe his his writing style is very different from mine (laughs) (laughs) i i have to admit when this book first came out i i didn't read it i hardly even knew anything about it I, i remember the controversy and i knew some friends that were reading it that had some very traumatic experiences in churches and with mm-hmm. their own fathers and abuse yeah. and such. And so they were finding great comfort in it. Um, while mm-hmm. I had some other Christian friends that knew them that were very concerned about them. <laughs> and yeah. so it was like this sort of thing, but I didn't read it largely because I was like, Oh, it's a modern author and it's popular. I probably will like it because I'm just such a snob. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and again, I think like in some ways chemo was like a really great thing because it made me read all this stuff that I would never have normally read. Yeah. It, it, it got past your defenses or your biases. It, did. it got past yeah. my defenses. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm thinking even now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking that maybe it was my mom that gave me the book and I could be wrong about that but she again would be one of those ones that grew up with an extremely legalistic background she was um she grew up at a catholic school so she had the you know the nuns wrapping her knuckles for everything I mean she just kind of describes just how she always felt how angry God always was yeah I grew up with that as well yeah and so from that perspective I think I was able to you know do the chew and spit where it's I, I didn't grow up I wouldn't say that I grew up in that in a legalistic background. I think I imposed that on myself. I don't think it was actually imposed uh, yeah. upon by. In- I do that well enough as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really good with doing that to myself. And so it was almost like just, oh, I was able to really sort of understand and how the love, the love of the father and, and the son and the spirit. What does that look like? You know, if we were to put it into an artistic realm, um, but I think also since the movie, you know, obviously is shorter, it can't have all the stuff in the book. I think it might actually do a great service in the sense that they strip out a lot of the bad theology. Now, there were a couple things in there. So like I have about four pages. I was the nerd in <laughs> in the movie theater, uh, totally breaking the rules because I had my phone on slightly <gasps> so that I could see. I started out trying to write without the lights and I thought I am not going to be able to read this later. <laughs> so yeah. finally, I had to have my phone next to me so I could see a little bit so I've got like four or five pages of notes here and I put a little star next to anything that I was like I'm not so sure about that and I really only have like four or five stars out of all those pages but one of them's kind of a biggie and that's when uh, Papa's talking about sin and 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 his wrath and being like you know basically saying oh that whole wrath thing that's just blown out of proportion I don't really have that and I'm like ooh no that's not the case that's but at the same time I think about there's some people that experience the wrath that really need to be reminded of the wrath of God and some people that don't yeah and because I think about Jesus when he was before the woman caught in adultery, yeah. that that would have been a perfect time to be like, you know, this is rebellion against a holy God. But that was when he showed the most grace. And so we can't say, oh, we can take that story and therefore say Jesus has no wrath and God has no wrath. But rather, that's not the part of God that he chose to reveal at that time. Now, Jesus did say, go and sin no more. So he didn't say, it's all good, sister, you know. Your sin is your own worst punishment, which is kind of what they said in the movie. Oh, sin is its own worst punishment. And I'm thinking, no, mm. <laughs> that's, you know, if you, if you strip the wrath of God because our sin really does it to ourselves, then no, that's, that's not okay. It, it decreases God's goodness in the end. So It does yeah. decrease his goodness. Yeah. So that, that was probably the number one problem. And I know that the book expands upon that a lot more. And they make it like this whole universalism where everybody's going to yeah. heaven. God doesn't send anybody to hell. 
and they they kind of dabbled with that in the movie. Um, and someone who remembered the book better would probably see it more, but since I can't really remember the book, what I saw it more as was trying to show God's heart that he doesn't want to send anybody to hell. Yeah, he doesn't give up on people, but I think the, the message that's given is that this life, even after this life, he hasn't given up on on mm-hmm. you. And I think the assumption there is that you know, when someone at the end of their life has still rejected God, that God hasn't done everything yet to try Mm -hmm. to convince it. But how do we know that? You know, we don't know. And that's getting again into these areas that, you know, it's, we have something in scripture that says very clearly, and it it just seems that he's going against it. And so um, I think the biggest thing is that there's a lot of comfort to be found in this book. Yeah, but we have to be careful not to um, to totally get emotionally swept away to where we can't be discerning when we yeah. read it as well, and to be able, like like we've always said, to chew and spit, mm-hmm. and to realize that yes, he does give us a concrete picture of God here, but you know this is just our pictures are always going to fall short. Yeah, but it's still will. it's still a you know it's a beautiful picture and it's helpful and it can be like you comforting for you and I know it was comforting for people um, and like I said it just I did, was not expecting to cry mm-hmm. and um, I was just bawling you know and so <laughs> I was really shaken up and not thinking and I'm thinking I am never going to see the movie <laughs> because I'm still recovering from stuff like E. T. you know <laughs> and Bambi. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Wow. I'm bad. I'm so bad. It's something about seeing the images and stuff. It's just so powerful. But um It is so powerful. But yeah, no, I think that there's there's a lot of value in it. If like you like you did, you said you went through and you saw the good and, and then you starred the things that are bad, that we have to just be discerning. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like how we treat him, I think that there mm-hmm. is a we have to be protective of the gift of the gospel that's been given us. And I've been just studying in my theology course about heresies and mm-hmm. and the attacks in, on Christ and how important they were to really get the theology correct. I, I did a whole paper on Arianism, which denies the divinity of Christ. And Arian was an Orthodox Christian. That's kind of a pretty big area. <laughs> I was yes, like to say, God, but, Jesus isn't actually God. That's it's like if you're going to have a big heresy, that's one of the biggest. Yeah, I think it's the worst. It's the most pernicious. And he, but he believed that God was unchangeable and immutable. He divide. He believed in this divine indivisibility, and he can't couldn't imagine God entering into this changeable sphere. And it mm. really it was it was Platonism that Neoplatonism is influenced by. But anyway, all that said is. I'm so thankful for the, the, the for the people that fought and took it very seriously. Yeah. The heresy. Now, this is definitely because it's so didactic and he's putting words in God and Jesus is in the Holy Spirit's mouth. I understand people's reaction against it actually. Yeah. I understand mm-hmm. that and how people take it seriously. And so I think it's been a great thing to get people to talk about it. But I would just encourage if you know someone that has been greatly comforted by it to not um, rip it apart because like yeah. you said 
a lot of times it's a reaction to the legalism they've been brought up with. Yeah. And this picture of God is angry and wrathful and vengeful and they and not not the love and they're responding to the love they see and when you do not react to them in love that's going to mm-hmm. push them further away. Yes, that that's a good point is it uh, for, for someone who has grown up in legalism to then take this in something that actually comforted them about God where they feel like, oh, I'm finally starting to understand God's love. And then you take it and legalistically rip it apart also. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How much more is that going to just push them away? And so knowing kind of who this book is for, but being realistic for, um, so I would say this book is for anyone who's maybe grown up in legalism, but always with the caution of don't get your theology from it. Yeah. Uh, someone who's going through suffering like I loved the portion um, at least in again in the movie the one that I remember because I saw it on Tuesday Hmm. uh, where they had uh, they put Max say oh you know you're not here to be judged I think it was they they just call her wisdom instead of Sophia even though Sophia is, is the Greek root for wisdom you know you're not here to be judged you're here to be judged because that's essentially what you're doing you're putting God on trial because the whole theme of this movie is that Mac has come to the conclusion that Papa is not good. Yeah. And that is the first thing you question. mm -hmm. Yeah. It's God's goodness. Now there are some areas where he even contradicts himself. I mean, I I've got so many things I could nitpick and I just don't want to spend the podcast nitpicking, but Yeah. yeah, you just overall, if you, if you have a big bird's eye view of it, I think they do a good thing of, making God's goodness more tangible. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, I think that it's like, well, one of my, my classmates and I were kind of joking about that as, as we're sifting through all this kind of systematic theology stuff, you kind of bounce back and forth between different heresies as you're starting to find, like, what's the actual place. And so there there is something to be said for process, giving someone the room to process in a way that, you know what, they're going to probably say a lot Seriously. of things. That- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because these are very... I mean, we're talking about very complex, rich things. Mm-hmm. Heresy is lurking behind every thought. Yeah. And so it's very easy to slip into some of them. Definitely. But I, I remember when I was reading it, thinking, and when everybody was being so dismissive about it, and I remember thinking, why are people thinking they're trying to get theology from this? I wasn't reading... I, I was reading it as if I was almost reading mm-hmm. a journal of someone trying to process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a, a friend uh, back when I lived in California that she and I would process together. And it was like we would say stuff that we totally didn't believe. But it's like we almost needed to s- say it out loud so that then we could step back and say, do I really believe that? And if anybody else didn't understand that process, then they'd just be trying to correct you all the time. But we would usually self-correct, but we had to say the wrong stuff Your first. verbal processor. Yeah. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. verbal processing. And so... This idea of making, but then again, you know, we didn't put it into a book and sell it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, these were conversations between the two of us, but there's still a place for that processing. Um, and I hope that the verbal processing and um, the writing processing <laughs> that's been going on since his book came out has for the most part, helped him think through some of these things as well. I suspect that that might not be the case because people have not been very charitable. They have (sighs) turned him into the, you know, Antichrist himself. Yeah, Yeah, basically, of just like as if he's out to deceive the masses instead of like, you know what, this was a book that I was using to process. I I, I think I heard from someone that he used this book or like he, he wrote it as like a present to... 
his children. Or for some people. Yeah, and he gave it to a couple people and they said, oh, this is so good, you should publish. So it's not like he was creating this thinking, I'm going to sell this to the masses, but it was kind of like people were like, oh, you should put this out there. And probably well-meaning people who really did glean a lot of the, you know, the heart of the heart of Christ, who had been yearning for that heart. Sorry, not just a Christ, but of, of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably did see the part that did help them and think, oh, other need, people need to be helped by this. And so I don't know if he had intended to make this, to turn it into what it is now. But you said that you don't think, uh, you, you read somewhere that he's not really in a fellowship of believers anymore. Yeah. And I got to imagine that he was just so yeah. royally crucified by the Christian community that why would you want to go back to that community? Yeah. Yeah. That's where... And and who knows all the details, you know, if, if people tried to talk to him and, and he was resistant and who knows all the real details. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a process. But, you know, we certainly in the body of Christ, we are just <laughs> a lot of marble and mud with us, you know, we just mess <laughs> yeah. up a lot and we're still works in progress ourselves. And yeah. so we've just got to have a lot of grace and mercy. But, yeah. um, but yeah, it, it is troubling. You know, I, again, I don't think I would have ever put words in God's mouth. That is just mm-hmm. to me in some of these deep theological things and so, so much of it, there's just a lot of dialogue in here. And yeah. so, you know, maybe there's some correction. He opened himself up to correction and I, yeah. I hope that he is open to it and, um, and that people have been kind with him and patient. Yeah. And that's just the most we can do. And that's the most we can do with people, our friends that were genuinely very moved by the book. And I will say there are moving yeah. aspects of it, but also just to be discerning. Yeah. yeah. I'd say if you're trying to learn about the heart of God, this is a good book. If you're trying to learn about anything else, <laughs> maybe not so much. Well, and this is our, such our tendency. We're able to focus on one aspect and we just totally distort all the others. And in yeah. the process, sometimes we end up distorting because like you said, his love, really we can't divorce God's love from his justice and from, yeah. and you know, his, his goodness is, it, part of it is his perfect justice. And mm-hmm. when we end up doing that, we end up actually distorting his love as well. Not only his yes. justice, but his love. But part of that's because we're finite beings and we're fallen and we're temporal. We live moment by moment. God isn't like he's got this attribute and this attribute. No, they're all together in one. (laughs) That's the true indivisibility of God. And and yet for us, we experience them more as in his love, but then his justice and his mercy as if they're separate things. And so we can only focus on one. And so... Yeah, he's. I, I see a lot of focus on God's love and mercy in this, but I see in mm-hmm. his over-focus, he's missed some other things. Yeah. And um, in the, it's a theodicy. Um, he does mention about men turning in sin to evil and such, so it, it is there. But um, it's he gives maybe too many answers, I think. Then Job doesn't give us a lot of answers. And, yeah. And he gives too many. And that's maybe where the, the, the movie actually was a little bit better than the book, is I don't feel like the movie tried to give nearly Because they had to cut answers. out some of the dialogue for time. Yeah. yeah. They, now, if they'd made it into a miniseries, it would have been... <laughs> yeah, it probably would have been, like, totally heretical. Yeah. <laughs> expressed all of that. I've seen that. Um, I've had a few modern books like that where they're better movies because mm-hmm. the it gets a lot of the just unneeded stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, it's, like, really good. 
Oh, and one more thing, and actually this was, uh, John pointed this out on the ride home. It was kind of fun. We got to take several people from our small group to go see it. So, because I thought, well, I, I need to see it for this podcast, so let's invite other people. So we had all seven of us, which doesn't sound like a big deal for other people, but when you live in a tiny little town like ours, <laughs> we have to drive 45 minutes away to go see it, like all in a van together. And so we were discussing it on the way home. And one of the things that John pointed out that I didn't even think about was it really took away this idea of, I mean, embarrassingly as, as it is, a lot of times, most of the pictures of God we have are like white God. Yeah. And this, like in the book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like we have this brown-eyed, blue, or, or brown-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's, you know, lily white. And this really took away this idea of just God's whiteness and put it in this showing the beautiful richness of multicultural, you know, him being a reflection of all these different types of cultures. Now, the, when they in the movie, they showed... Um, Papa, when when he they go to the really really hard part, and he has to actually turn into a man mm-hmm. to say you you need a father for this. Uh, they made him kind of like a, an American Indian man, and so I was like, I'm not sure if that's a reference to the daughter who had asked if the Great Spirit was the same as our God. Yeah. And it was just another another name for him. The waterfall. And thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not sure if they're trying to make that, but um, I think it was when I pointed that out. John said, Well, at least they didn't make it just like white the whole way around. So I kind of give him props for that as well. Yeah. So, but just in, in closing, I think in some ways these these are some of the things that I like the best about it. I liked how it when he went there, it kind of portrayed it as. Um, our pain is kind of where God dwells. That's where he wants to meet us is, is in our pain. Mm-hmm. Where we and think, I think he is, that, when, when we think he is furthest away, mm-hmm. that is where we are sharing in Christ's suffering, as Paul says. Yeah. yeah. And then secondly, in the movie, the, the woman that they had played the, Octa- uh, is it Olivia or Octavia Spencer? It's Octavia Spencer? I think, I think, uh, I think it's Octavia Spencer. They actually show him as a boy with her. And her being so kind to him. And so the fact that they use the same woman as as God, or as Papa later, yeah. I thought was kind of showing how God reveals himself through people. And like you were yeah. talking about, you know, the hands and feet of Christ are the body of believers. Yeah. And so the fact that they had Papa reveal himself as kind of this woman is just a reminder that we can be showing God to people. Yeah. And she smelled like, in the book, she smelled like his mother, and he loved his mother. And yeah, yeah, so it was like she, his mother was a representative of God to him, not his father, who was cruel and abusive. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think they were talking about the idea that we are created to be loved. And I think a lot of times people have forgotten that. Yeah. So individualistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just uh, just we're, we're created to be love and how pain kind of clips our wings, I think was one of the quotes that they had there. Yeah, when left resolved, you can't do what you were created for. And I think that's extremely, extremely true. Now, you and I had a little bit different opinion on uh, when it was talking about the beautiful mess. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, at first I was thinking, well, that really is true. We are all works in progress and God sees this plan that he has for us. But at the same time, you pointed out how, a lot of people take that idea of the beautiful mess and it's kind of downplaying sin as if mm-hmm. sin is just kind of, you know, a beautiful mess. And that's instead not- of kind of in a way to cope with the shame they feel for actually mm-hmm. sinning, they say, oh, well, it's just my beautiful mess. But actually, you know, you sh- it's shame has a place. Our culture does not like shame, but it mm-hmm. does have a place because it pushes us to behave better, 
toward yeah. people and, and to be loving and kind and, and to, to, to move away from sin. Shame is a good thing. We don't yeah. wallow in it. You know, it was all paid for on the cross, but um, it's not something that we just sort of are um, dismissive and lighthearted about. And I think yeah. that whole section where the Holy Spirit was calling it a beautiful mess, I I, I sensed a it little is, bit of that. It is, and it's not. Yeah. It, it, it's like one of those things where I think people who are prone to beat up on their self, on, on themselves, they need to kind of hear that, how yeah. the Lord's working through them. The people that are prone to excuse their sin, that's the last thing that they need to hear. And and people are that those people at different times in their own lives, you know, and sometimes mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, we're so complex. We're a mess. There was a, a <laughs> yeah, we are a mess. We are a mess in general. I always so. say that I'm a mess. <laughs> yeah, I like to say hot mess, but mm-hmm. yeah. So, and we had actually done. It was funny last last Sunday we did a presentation on the problem of evil for um for our it's once a month our small group opens itself up to the rest of the church and we do what's called tough questions, mm-hmm. and so our last our last tough question was on the problem of evil and so it was really interesting that was a can of worms (laughs) oh yeah no it totally is but to see so many of those things kind of addressed in this movie i thought was was kind of cool in a way that the movie didn't try to offer really a pat answer and see i felt like the book did more of that and i wish he would have been he would have put his hand over his mouth as Job did in some places, yeah. you know, because he went yeah. too far. And and even in some of it, but that's just that's yeah. just my only issue. So that is kind of a, our discussion today of The Shack. We hope that it's been a fair and balanced um, portrayal. We want to make sure that the people who have loved the book ha- are, feel affirmed in the sense that they are, you know, again, the chew and spit. You, you swallow the things that are nourishing and you spit out the things that are not and that there are nourishing parts of this book we should probably always make sure that people know that there's things uh, to watch out for. Some of the themes, kind of like we talked about the universalism, the idea that sin's not a big deal. Um, Everybody goes to heaven and there's no, there's no wrath of God. Those, you know, God's wrath and God's love cannot exist apart from each other. These are all things that probably need to be aware of. So we need to be aware, but we also need to to react in a way to where people can enjoy the parts that um, can be enjoyed. And but. I would just ask the people that have been moved by the movie and enjoyed it to be patient with the people that are very seriously offended as well. And yes. understand that because this is our Lord and this is our precious gospel that we have been, We this is our generation. God has given us to protect it. It has yeah. been protected for 2,000 years. And of course, thankfully, we have the, the help of the Holy Spirit. But, it, you know, it is a serious thing after just studying heresies and such to, to, to take them seriously as well and take mm-hmm. the fact that it has been so influential and so popular we need to take it seriously as well. So absolutely. So there's a both and, you know, both and. That's a that's that's a beautiful note to end on. So um, I'll go ahead and pray us out. Okay. Father God, we thank you that you are a God of love, and we also thank that you, thank you, God, for being a God of justice, Lord, because yeah. that is part of your love. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to rightly divide not only your word of truth, but also how to sift through. Uh, pop culture and through mm. artistic representations, Lord, and to find the things that are good and to cling to those things that are good and to appreciate the things that are good, but never to neglect the things um, uh, that are bad, Lord, that we would be able to reject that which is bad and to cling to what is good. I think scripture says that. 
um, we pray for the women out there that are learning that that are that are going through this for the first time. For those who have experienced a lot of suffering, or for those who have experienced a lot of legalism, mm-hmm. Lord, we pray that um, people bashing this book would not be just one more thing that they feel like is a burden that's being put on them, as if they're they're somehow less than mm-hmm. for enjoying the book or the movie, Father God, that they would feel affirmed in the fact that there are good things in this book and there's good things in this movie. And it's okay to enjoy those parts. Um, and for the ones, Lord, who uh, who are seeing the dangers, Lord, we thank you that we have people who are willing to point out when yes. there's things that go against our gospel, Lord, and we pray that you would just be building them up in love and graciousness so that whenever they are speaking out against things that are wrong, Lord, they would do it with a gracious tone and with love and with understanding. And we just pray that these two camps would have love and graciousness and understanding towards one another, Lord. Mm. We pray for true unity, but we pray for unity in truth Yes, (laughs) at the same time, not unity at the cost of truth. Mm. Um, We thank you so much. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.